Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, we are in the first week of a brand new series called uh, How to Survive the End of the World. And uh, it's going to be a good series. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, it's going to be a great time. Before we jump into that, let me just take just a moment and, and reiterate a couple of things you heard on Church News. The first is today is Growth Track, uh, the first step of Growth Track. And that is our process for you to jump on the team here. And just really, it's our membership class today. The, the, step one is membership class and some spiritual gift assessment, a chance for you to sort of find your place on the team and, and uh, where you are. And some of you have been kicking the tires for a long time. And you're waiting for a sign. Like, I don't know, is this going to be us? Let me be Bill Ingvill for you today. Here's your sign, okay, somebody? Like, this, like this is your sign. You need, today's the day. Just jump in today on the growth track. It's just two Sundays. We'll feed you today a great lunch, and we'll, we'll take care of your children. So any questions about that, you can see somebody at Connections. Matter of fact, when you came in on your seat, there's some directions about how to get there. It's about a quarter of a mile just across the other side of the interstate. And uh, I'd love to see you today at 1 o'clock at uh, growth track. This is going to be a great series. I promise you that. Let me let me do this before we do anything. Everybody, just take a deep breath. Okay, we're, we're there's going to be no tin horn beast or anything weird like that. <laughs> we're not no whore of Babylon or anything crazy. We don't have big charts coming out. We're not. I remember one time. This is a true story. I remember one time uh, I was in church. I grew up in a real churchy church. Any of my all my real churchy people were y'all at? I grew up in a churchy church, and um, the guy was preaching. The preacher was preaching about. The coming of the Lord and the end of uh, time. And he had a casket in the front of the building. True story. He had a casket in the front of the building. And it wasn't a funeral of somebody. <laughs> it wasn't like we were there. Like, And it was like to scare you. Like this could be the last deal and all that. Listen to me. I don't do that. Okay. This is not what this is all about. The next four weeks, I promise you, that will not be what this is about. But I do want to talk about what's happening in, in the world. And I think it's right for us to talk about that. And I hope before you end today, you leave out here full of hope. Everything that uh, everything that we do here is full of hope and full of life. And uh, so I hope that you leave today with your head held high and not hanging down, worried to death and scared to death uh, about what's going on. Let me pray for you. We'll jump into the Word. Father, I thank you for your Word today. God, I open that Word today, and I believe inside of it is the Word of life. And so anything that I have a question about, the answer is in that book. So I open my heart today and whatever it tells me to do, whatever it says about me, whatever it says about my life and where I'm at in life, I'm ready to receive it in Jesus' name. And everybody shout a big amen. Amen. Thanks again for being here. Why don't you grab your Bibles and if you have version, you can follow along today on, uh, on our, uh, our event today inside of version. Let me start with a, a passage. Let me tell you why we're doing this. Matthew 24 says this. But about that day, everybody asked me this, are we living in the end times or where are we at? And, and Jesus said, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Would you underline this in your notes? And so just, if you don't hear anything else, that's somebody's uh, text message. If you don't hear anything else uh, that happens over the next four weeks, I want you to hear this. That Jesus said, nobody knows. So look at your neighbor and say, he's not going to tell you when. I'm not going to tell you when. I, that's not my job. I'm not going to tell you when. Matter of fact, let me say it this way. If anybody tells you when, they're wrong. And you tell them I said so. If anybody tells you it's going to be this Saturday, which, by the way, it's always a Saturday in September. I don't know why y'all hate September, but everybody hates September. It's always a Saturday in September that he's coming back. There's always some reason why September. And listen, I really do believe the Lord could come back during some a Jewish feast. I believe he may come back in the Feast of Trumpets. I really do believe that. I think that's probably uh, aligned to biblical prophecy. But it's not for you and I to know. The Bible says nobody knows, not even the angels in heaven. Listen, Jesus is talking here. He said even the Son doesn't know. Jesus said, I don't even know when I'm coming back. But the Father in heaven, he said, only the Father knows. 
Only God the Father knows. And so everybody's asking, are we living in the last days? Is this it? Is Jesus coming soon? Is this the end time? And if it's not the end time, listen close. What does it mean? Like, what do we do in the, in the meantime? If Jesus is not coming back today, or if this isn't the end of the time, what do we do? And let me tell you the reason why. There's a couple of circumstances. The reason why I really felt the Lord talk to me, and I, I really felt this message series, I planned my, my preaching calendar almost a year out. And I felt this preaching a long time ago. But recently, there's a couple of things, four things that kind of happened, hurricanes that we have had, the devastation of Harvey and Maria and, and uh, you know, just destroy our friends in Puerto Rico and, and in Florida and, and in greater Houston and the Gulf Coast. It's absolutely horrible uh, what has been literally the Caribbean just decimated. And we have some people uh, who belong to our church, a precious family in our church whose family, they are Puerto Rican, their family is still in Puerto Rico, and it's it literally absolutely devastated. And so there's hurricanes, and then there's earthquakes. An earthquake recently in Mexico, too, actually, about six weeks apart. One of them just most recently in Mexico City. And just absolutely horrific. And if you saw any of the videos, and just buildings falling, and hundreds and hundreds of dead. Absolutely awful. And then, and then we have to be honest sort of where we are in the threat of nuclear war from North Korea and, and other parts of the world, and kind of where we are, you know, geopolitically, and terror all over the world, you know, I... Uh, Brandon and I have been married almost 20 years, and we always said on our 20th we were going to go to Europe, and, and, and we still may, but it's just scarier than it used to be. You know what I'm saying? And, and you feel like, man, I don't know if I want to go there because of what may happen there. I don't know if I want to fly to there or what may happen there. So people are saying, why, you know, why, why are you even doing this series? Like, why would you do this? As a matter of fact, somebody asked me, said, listen, Pastor, I don't even want to know, okay? Don't let it be a surprise to me. Like, ignorance is bliss in this particular. I, I don't want to know what's going on. It scares me. It worries me. It's boring to me, and I don't think that should be it. I don't think it should be scary or worse. As a matter of fact, I think that we need to know this. Here's the reason why. And this is kind of our theme verse for the next four weeks. First Chronicles talks about a tribe. It talks about the men of Issachar, the men that lived in ancient times. This is a tribe of Israel, and he said there were certain men in this tribe of Issachar, and here's what the Bible says about them. They understood the times, and they knew what Israel should do. The Bible gives this shout out for these men in Issachar. And he said, here's the reason why they're so important. It's because they did two things. They understood what time they were living in. It's one thing to understand them. It's another thing to know exactly what we should do in them. And I really believe over the next four weeks, those are the two things I want to answer for you. I want you to know what times that we're living in. I want you to understand the times. And more importantly, I want you to know what to do with the times that we do have. We all have to know what's going on right now because the one thing we do not want to do, the one thing I'm committed to not allow you to sink into is being scared. I don't want you to be confused by it. And I don't want you to be idle. I really don't. I don't want our churches to be sitting back and kind of whatever happens, happens. We, we, we have a unique generation, honestly. We are a unique generation that we live in. We need to know what to do. And here's, here's the big idea for, for week one. If you're taking notes, I hope that you are in your worship guide. Matter of fact, if your neighbor's not taking notes, look at them and say, why would you not write this stuff down? Why would you not write this down? you got a better memory than I do. you got to take good notes. Maxwell says that leaders are learners, so I want you to be a good learner today and Take good notes. Matter of fact, this whole series, it's great for you to look back over your year and go, man, here's what God was speaking to me uh, in church. And here's the big idea today. Here's the first thing I want you to know. When you talk about how to survive the end of the world, here's the, here's the, the first thing. Really, this is the foundation of our whole thing is that Jesus is coming again. Everybody shout amen to that. Jesus is coming again. Some generation, listen close, will be the end time generation. 
some generation will be the end time generation. There's going to be somebody alive when Jesus comes back. It's going to happen. He's going to be returning. And, and there's going to be somebody here when it happens. Could it be us? Yeah, I think it really could be us. I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why I think our generation is unique. But that whether it's us or whether it's the next generation, I do know this, that Jesus is coming again. Here's what Acts 1 and 9 says. It says, after he said this, Jesus, he was taken up before their very eyes. You know that. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he's taken up. He ascends into heaven and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky where he was going. And suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And so they started asking, what's going on here? These two men says, men of Galilee, they said, these two men with them. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Listen close. This same Jesus who has been taken from into heaven, here's the promise, will come back. Jesus is going to come again in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. He said, it's exciting for you. Like, this is not something that I want you to, you know, to be scared about, that this is going to happen. The same way you saw him go into heaven, he's going to come back. And when he left, listen, he left us a final assignment. You know this, Matthew 28 and verse 19, it's called the Great Commission. Would you write this on your notes? It is not just a commission like I commission you to do this. It is the Great co Mission. That means you and I are on mission together. We're on an assignment together. And he said, until I come again, I want to leave you a mission to do. The reason why this church, as a matter of fact, this is the first weekend of our second year as a church, everybody. And, and the reason why we started this church, the reason why I think planting local churches is the right thing to do, is because he left us a mission. And we got to be on mission together until this happens. Like, until he comes again, he said, there's something I want for you to do. There's something I, I, I have for you to do. And the Bible is very clear. He will come back the same way that you saw him go. He left on the Mount of Olives. And if you know anything about Jerusalem or the geography of Jerusalem, there's this mountain. And then on the side of it where there's a garden of olive trees kind of around it. And that, that garden right there is actually the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus spent the night before he went to the cross, and then there's this valley and it comes back up. Nobody knows when, the day or the hour, the Bible says that, but we do know this, we do know that when he comes back, that's where he's coming back to. And even though we don't know the day or the hour, we can understand, listen close, the times and the seasons. There's a difference between day and hour and times and seasons. Most people like to predict day and hour. Those are the people all over Facebook that you need to defriend today. Those are the people trying to just sell you something. Buckets of food. Come on, somebody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I was up watching Christian television the other night because that's kind of what I do. And when you watch it really late at night, it gets really, really weird. And <laughs> there's a dude, his whole program is about selling you food in a bucket for 25 years. Y'all look at me. I ain't eating food out of a bucket for 25 years. You hear me? I'll eat my whole bucket in a week. That's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> if it's all over with, that bucket's going down with me in, in a whole week. Nobody knows the day or the hour, but we do know times and seasons. And here's how, here's how we know that. There's a couple of things in the Bible that sort of give us, here's some times, some seasons, or some signs. Here's the way Luke said it. There will be signs in the heavens. There are going to be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And so when you look to the heavens, he said, I'm going to put signs there. Now, you won't know day or the hour, but you can see some times and some signs in the heavens. And he said, not only when you look up, but when you look around on the earth, nations will be in anguish. That kind of sounds like where we are. And perpetually, at the roaring and tossing of the sea, that kind of sounds like where we are in hurricane season. And people will faint. How? From terror and apprehensive of what's coming to the world. 
and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, he said, once you sort of see these signs and seasons, he said, at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, the reason why I really felt like we needed to do this series right now is because when these things begin to take place, the Bible did not say, go run and find yourself what I call affectionately a Frady hole. You know what a Frady hole is? It's where Frady cats go. It's where you go. Where you jump in your Frady hole. That's what you do. You get a little bunker. Anybody ever? I'm being honest about this. Uh, on I forget what channel it is A and E or I forget what it is. Anybody uh, like watch prepper shows on TV? I'm all about that, bub. And they like like parking school buses underground and and they turn them into underground bunkers like a Frady hole. And and some of you think, man, that's what I want to do. Like I don't want to know anything's going on. Don't tell me anything. He said, no, no, no. That that's not what you do when you see the signs. When you turn on the news and you see hurricanes and you see earthquakes and you see terrorism and you see war he said you don't run that's not what we're to do he said when that all begins to take place you stand up and you lift up your heads the reason I think Bible prophecy gets a bad idea is because when you leave service your heads are hanging down scared to death or, or you're covering your head up worried about what's coming I don't know what's happening right he said no don't do any of that he said you lift up your heads Because your redemption is drawing nigh. Because the greatest news in Bible prophecy, if I don't understand anything else, I know this. Jesus is coming again. Everybody shout a big amen to that. That's worth celebrating. Like your redemption's drawing near. That's exciting news. That's not sad news or scary news or news to make you hang your head about. He said when all of that stuff starts happening, the church isn't to run and hide and buy buckets of food. The church is to hold our head up high because our redemption's drawing near. It's something to be excited about because Jesus is coming back. And listen, we could be the generation to see it. And I know that makes us, so many of us nervous. I really can. And honestly, when I, I feel the tension in the room, there's just sometimes as a preacher, you just sort of know what everybody's thinking. You know, when you preach about money or sex or, or you know, end times. But basically in that order. That's when people get kind of tense in the room. And I understand. I, I, I want all of your nerves to go away. Honestly, I do. So I'm going to tell you a little joke because honestly, the rest of my message ain't funny at all. There's these two churches in Louisiana, a Baptist church and a Methodist church, and they put up signs together in their front lines of their church. There's a little, the Baptist pastor in front of his church. He had this big sign. He was hammering it in the ground, and it said, The end is near. And across the street was the Methodist church, and, and the Methodist pastor, he was hammering his sign, and it said, Turn yourself around before it's too late. The end is near. Turn. About that time, they were both hammering their signs in the ground. This car streaks by, and you know, he's just flying by, and he rolls down the window, he yells out, You crazy religious fanatics! And then he goes around the corner, you hear this screeching, and you hear this big splash, and the Baptist pastor looks at the Methodist pastor, and he said, Maybe our sign should have said, The bridge is out. That's as funny as it's going to get. Everybody, i got to be honest with you. Some of you think that's what's happening. The bridge is out and everybody's scared to death and the end is near. And I don't want you to feel that way. So are we living in the last days? Is this it? Honestly, every generation made the case that they were the generation. If you lived through World War I or World War II, you thought you know, Hitler was the Antichrist. And, and, and every generation believes that, you know, they're the generation that, that Jesus is coming back. And so how do we know that we're unique? And here's, here's honestly, here's the way I'd like you to live your life. Matter of fact, the next four weeks and really the rest of your life, here's the thing I want you to hold on to. And if this kind of stuff gives you some trepidation, I'm being honest with you. Like I want to 
I don't want to make fun. That if this is genuinely tense and nervous to you, here's what I want you to know. And really, here's the way I think we should believe. I think we should plan on Jesus not coming back for another hundred years. I think we should plan. That means work. That means to, to fulfill the mission that we're on, the co-mission we are with each other. I think we should plan on Him not coming back for another 100 years. Don't quit your job. Don't quit giving to your 401k. Don't quit raising your kids. you got to save for college. We're going to build more churches. We're going to plant more campuses. We're going to plan on Him not coming back. But we're going to live like He's coming back today. We're going to plan that Jesus isn't coming back for another 100 years. Because honestly, in light of all of eternity, what's 100 years? Like when you say, is it soon? Well, honestly, a hundred years is soon when you consider all of eternity. And so we're going to plan like He's not coming back for a hundred years. We're going to live our lives like He's coming back today. We could be the generation to see Jesus come back because I really think we have a uniqueness that no other generation has. So let me make the case to you that even though every generation sort of believes they are the one, I think there's some things about our generation that make us very unique and that may qualify. I'm not telling you it is. Because I don't know, I don't know, I don't know date or hour. I do know times and seasons, some seasonal things that have happened in our generation. I think that make us very unique. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, worldwide satellite technology has made it available in our generation, like no other generation, for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. It's unique to us. Revelation 11 talks about at the very end uh, uh, during the tribulation period. There's a seven-year period of God's wrath. You know that's called the the great tribulation. There are going to be two witnesses. The Bible says. That most scholars believe to be Moses and Elijah come back from the dead. Those are resurrected Moses and Elijah. And they're going to preach the gospel. Many people are, they're going to come back from the dead. Many people are actually going to get saved during that season. They're going to preach to, to Israel during that season. The Bible says that the Antichrist and the beast are going to murder these two witnesses again. Moses and Elijah are going to murder them again. And the Bible says their bodies are going to lay in the street for three and a half days. And that the whole world will watch this happen. Well listen, that was not possible before our generation. Like the whole world could watch anything. Right now, the whole world could watch you on Facebook Live. You know that, don't you? Some of you you have forgotten that Facebook is the World Wide Web. That means everybody can see your pictures. Come on, somebody. Your mama can see your pictures. Your pastor, unfortunately, can see some of your pictures. Worldwide satellite technology has made it so that everybody can see. That's unique to us. That, that's the first time that's ever happened. Like genera- our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, they could not have seen that. Like the whole world, every person in the world could not have been able to witness what it is the Bible said we would witness. That the whole world would see these two witnesses lying in the street for three and a half years. That's unique to us. The second thing I think is unique to our generation is not only satellite technology, but worldwide financial technology. Revelation 13 talks a little bit about the the tribulation where the Antichrist, basically in a show, he's making people think that he's bringing the world together. He's actually got a different goal in mind, but he wants to get everybody on on one central currency and and one way to buy and to sell things. And you know that if you've been around uh, church any much, that's called the mark of the beast. And so it's this mark, the Bible says, either on your forehead or on your hand, and you'll have the ability, the Bible says, to buy or to sell. Like it, whatever this mark is gives you the ability to, to, to buy and to sell. It's like going to Walmart and, you know, you stick your head over and, and, and you know, you're able to buy. I don't know how it's going to work. I'm just right now. That's how it would work. You stick your head over. And, and it seems it seems crazy. Uh, in order for that to happen for the whole world, we have to be connected globally. We have to have this worldwide financial technology. I just saw an article, not something from last year or 10 years ago, July 24th. 
just three months ago, July 24th, 2017, the New York Times released an article about a Wisconsin company that was microchipping all of their employees and their paychecks were on their microchip, either in their hand or in their forehead. I'm just telling you that there, something is unique about our generation that other generations didn't have. The third thing, listen, here's the thing that you don't hear about. This is where most Bible preachers, this is where most, especially Bible prophecy preachers, this is the stuff they end on right here, and then they start selling you buckets of food. You know what I'm saying? But really, I think worldwide satellite technology has made it so that revelation can be fulfilled. I think worldwide financial technology and worldwide evangelism. This is the stuff that fires me up. Like, people get fired up and they send me articles about microchips, and I appreciate it. If you get any articles, send them my way. I, I, I may preach about them. But this is the stuff that I get fired up about. Because Matthew 24 says this. It says that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14. He said that this gospel will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now look at this word, all nations. Underline this in your notes or write this in your Bible. All nations is not referring to the 193 geographic boundary nations that are on planet earth right now. There are 193 nations that have, that have borders that are sovereign nation states. When the Bible talks about all nations, he's talking about people groups. He's talking about individual groups of people. And on planet earth right now, there are about 17,000 people groups. Individual groups, tribes, and, and, and different cultures inside of the sovereign nation. There's 17,000 of them. Now listen close. I know this is a lot of numbers. And if you're not a numbers guy or gal, this may be a little confusing. Don't let me confuse you. But of those 17,000 people groups, all nations, listen to this, 10,000 of them... Have a Bible, a church, and a missionary. Of the 17,000 people groups on planet earth, 10,000 of them have a Bible in their language, a local church to attend, and a minister of some sort, a a missionary. That means there are 7,000 of what we call unreached people groups. People that don't have a Bible, they don't have a local church, they don't have a clear gospel presentation in their their life. And matter of fact... If you want to know sort of our mission strategy, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, the places that you send missions dollars. And if you do that, but let me tell you how we've decided to send missions dollars. Our missions dollars are strategically centered towards those 7,000 unreached people groups. Because I think it's my job to be able to preach the gospel to all nations. And it doesn't mean all nations like the nation of Hungary or the nation of Austria or the nation of Russia. It means all nations like people groups. And so we, we actually strategically send our missions dollars towards these 7,000 7, unreached people groups. And, and it's making a difference. Let me tell you the difference it's making. In 1970, it, it, there were only 1.2 billion Christians on planet Earth in 1970. In 2017, there's an estimated 2.6 billion Christians in the last 47 years, it has more than doubled. You know what that means? The gospel's growing, everybody. Shout amen to that. Like, that, that, that's, that's what's happening is that we're translating the Bible more. We're, there, there's more gospel witnesses. There's more missionaries and unreached people groups. And that's why we invest. Listen, of the 193 nations, listen close to this. The gospel is growing in every nation of all 193 except 20. Every nation except 20 The gospel is growing over the last 47 years. Do you want to know what one of the 20 are? America. In the last 47 years, the gospel has not grown at the same rate as it has in in the other 193. That's why we invest in church planting. Let me tell you another part of your missions dollars. Every time you give here, 
We take the first 10% of everything you give and we go straight to missions with that. And one of the areas we direct your missions dollars is towards church planting. We want to plant more life-giving churches in America. Why? Because I want this number to grow here. Amen, everybody? Like, I don't just want it to grow overseas. I want it to grow in our communities. And, and, and our, we live in a unique generation that's reaching more people. And we have a limited time, listen close, and we have an incredible opportunity for global evangelism. An incredible opportunity. It's why I encourage you to give here. It's why I encourage you to be faithful. Because I really believe, honestly, I think God calls us to plant local churches for missions. I really believe that. I, I genuinely believe that's the calling of the local churches to reach people here and these people to invest in missions to reach people who aren't reached. Because we're racing against the clock of the return of Jesus. And there's people who don't have a Bible in their language and don't have a missionary and don't have a local church. And it's our job to sort of reach those and keep, keep this number growing. We have a unique opportunity for global evangelism that no other generation has. So what does the return of Jesus mean to us? Let me give you a couple of things and I'll let you go today. What does the return of Jesus mean to you? Like if that's the big idea, that Jesus is coming again, if that's the foundation of all of Bible prophecy, if that kicks off everything else, if that's the, if that's the catalyst for understanding how to survive the end of the world, that Jesus is coming again, let me give you a couple of things that it does for us. Here's the first one if you're writing this down. Jesus' return comforts us. The return of Jesus gives us comfort. It doesn't scare us, it gives us comfort. 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, According to the, words Lord, uh, to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep or who have died. This is Bible language for those who have died. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven, that's what we've talked about, with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the sound of a trumpet, the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and who are left, listen close, will be called up together. This will be caught up together is what you and I in, 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 in most theological circles call the rapture. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That's good news. Now listen close. Therefore, don't scare each other with this. Therefore, don't get big posters with big horned beast out of it and this giant dragon eating everybody in the world up. Therefore, don't talk about fireballs out of the sky and everybody going to hell and blood going to the horse's bridle. Is all of that stuff in the Bible? It is. But you and I are to encourage one another with the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus' return is not to scare you. It's not to, it's not to guilt you into salvation. It's not to manipulate you to do something you are not called to do. It's to encourage you. It ought to encourage you when you when you look at your life and you think, man, this world's getting terrible. When you turn the news on, you think, oh my gosh, what, what else from North Korea? What else can our like what what can our country take? How many more natural disasters? How many more things can happen? That's not something to scare you, even though it should open your eyes to the times and seasons. It's not supposed to scare you. Here's what you to do: you're, you're supposed to pick up your phone and call your connect group because all of you are in a connect group, and you're supposed to text your whole connect group because all of you are in a connect group, and you're supposed to encourage one another with these words. You're supposed to send a text out. You're supposed to get on Facebook. What if on Facebook, instead of staring, now I love pictures of your cats. I Honestly, so help me, I do. 
But what if you got on Facebook and just encouraged one another that, hey, this isn't the end, everybody. This isn't the, this isn't the last time. Next time you see somebody post about a funeral of a family member, why don't you encourage them? Hey, listen, I don't know. I've never been where you are. I know it's a terrible day. I know it's a sad funeral. But listen, there's going to come a day when the dead in Christ will rise first and then those of us who are alive and remain are going to be caught up to meet Him in the air. That's encouraging news, everybody. Comfort each other with these words. Encourage one another with these. When things aren't going right in your faith, encourage one another. Hey, listen, Jesus is coming back. That's worth living for. When faith gets hard and you think, man, I don't know if I can go on, encourage one another. Jesus returned. It comforts us. There is going to be a moment when Jesus takes us out of this earth and we do not incur the wrath that the earth incurs. I really do believe that. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. That was never his, it never been God's design for the people of God to suffer wrath. And so encourage one another. Don't be scared about this. It comforts us. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Here's the second thing it does. Jesus' return comforts us. The second thing it does is Jesus' return prepares us. Would you write that down? God never wanted you to be in the dark about all of this, honestly. That's why he talks about the end times so much in the Bible, the return of Christ. In the Bible, this is honestly, when I was... Studying to preach this to you, this, this is so eye-opening to me. There are over 300 references in the New Testament alone to the return of Jesus. Did you know that? Of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, 216 of them talk about the end time or the return of Jesus. 23 out of all 27 New Testament books talk about the return of Jesus. Like, He did not mean for you to be caught unaware like, he, he said all of this so that you and I wouldn't just be, you know, it, Jesus returned. It prepares us. It prepares our heart. First Thessalonians, again, Paul, the, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church more about this than any other epistle that he writes. First Thessalonians 5, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And people will say, when people are saying peace and safety, that's when destruction will come on them. Suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you... Listen, here's the misinterpretation of Bible prophecy. It's because they believe that this pat Mike, I know this is hard to do. Go back to the, the, to the scripture before this. They think all of this stuff happens to believers. Look at me. None of this happens to believers. The next verse, the next passage says, Because you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you. In other words, this should not come on you like a thief. It's just going to come like a thief on those who don't know, who aren't ready, who haven't prepared their hearts. He said, but that's not you, brothers and sisters. You are not in darkness, so you shouldn't be caught unaware. This is why how you live matters. This is why your eyes have to be open. We have to be prepared for the fact that Jesus is coming again. This is why we do a series like this. This is why this is so important for you to know. It's not just to scare you. It's not just to, you know, to scratch an itch that people are talking about. No, no, no. It's because I don't want you to be in darkness about this day. I, want you, I don't want you to, This is not supposed to be like a thief in the night to you. He said that's not how that happens to you. It's not supposed to surprise you. As a believer, you, you should have your eyes wide open. And it should prepare how you live. Because how you live here matters. Amen, everybody? We live prepared that Jesus is coming again. Here's the third thing it does. Jesus' return, it comforts us, it prepares us, and it refocuses us, honestly. It focuses our attention on the right thing and off of the wrong thing. 
1 Thessalonians 5 again, Paul said, you are, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, listen close, we don't live like everybody else on TV buying food buckets. I don't know why I keep talking about that. It's because I just watched it. That's why. You know who it was? It was Jim Baker. Do you remember that? Frank, you remember Jim Baker back in the day? Y'all may have food buckets. If y'all bought them from Jim Baker, I don't mean to keep making fun, but it was funny to me at 2 o'clock in the morning. He said, you don't have to be scared. This is not, the, this is not a scary time. Listen, we don't belong to the night or the darkness. We don't, we don't walk around scared about what's happening. No, no, no. But we don't live like everybody else who are asleep, but let us, listen close, let us refocus our eyes and be awake. And this does not mean very few margaritas. This means focused. To be sober means that you stay focused. That your eyes are focused. This is not a good time to have a bunch of things going on in your mind. Listen close. If you'll give me two minutes, I rarely ever do this. But let me talk to you like your pastor. Would you let me do that for a moment? Shake your head this direction. Doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. This is the time, listen close, for us to clear out distractions in our life. I'm talking to families who need to, t- you need to look at your schedule and take 25% of it and cancel it. Cancel it. One sport at a time is plenty. I know you got a superstar, but they don't need to, they don't need to be an all-star underwater basket weaving. Okay, they're not going to get a scholarship in basket weaving anyway. This is the time for us to be focused, everybody. This is not the time for us to, uh, listen, you got to work overtime, you got to do what you got to do, but you don't need three and four jobs. You know what you need to do? We need to adjust our budget so we can be focused with our kids. Amen, everybody? Like, this is the time where we really have to get focused. This is that sober living. This is saying, listen, there's some stuff in this life that is a distraction. There's some of us, listen close, I'm almost done pastoring, I have about 45 more seconds. You need to, you need to delete social media from your phone. It's a distraction. I don't mean a distraction from your kids at the dinner table. It is that. But, I mean, it's distracting your life. I mean, it's distracting. You're worried about what everybody else has going, what everybody else has. They got a new car. They got a new woman. They got new clothes. They got a new school. They got a new house. Everything's, and your minds are distracted. And listen, now we're not focusing on the stuff that matters. Now we're focusing on the people that do not matter. Listen, those people will not be there. I know your Facebook calls them your friends. They're not your friends. They don't even know you. You're just connected to somebody they're connected to. This is the time for us to get focused, everybody. Is that okay? Is that too hard? Say amen to that, everybody. Like, I just want you to live focused. Because I think we could be the generation. Are, am I telling you for sure? No. I'm just telling you there's some things that are unique about our generation. That we could see the coming of the Lord. And that we got to get focused. we got to get rid of a bunch of stuff in our life and in our mind. So are we living in the last days? Would you write this down? Here's the big question. Are we living in the last days? Listen close to me. Look in my eyes. You are living in yours. And I am living in mine. Are we living in the last days? You are living in your last days. And I am living in my last days. In other words, we only have a certain amount of time to do what God called us to do. So technically, from the day you were born, these are your last days. These are my last days. Time is of the essence. It's why I preach so much to you about purpose and and doing what God called you to do and being about the thing that God uniquely designed you to do. It's because you are living in your... Are we living in the last days? I don't know, but I'm living in mine. 
It's why I had to leave the comforts of a, a great job and a great paycheck and, and, and everything was working out. And I said, God, I, I've got to start a new church. We've got to launch more churches. We have to give more people a, a life-giving opportunity to meet Jesus because I'm living in my last days. And I can't get to the end of my life, whether Jesus returns in my lifetime or not. I can't get to the end of my life and not do the thing God called me to do. I have to be on mission. This is my co-mission. These are my last days. And these are your last days. I'm not, not scary like you're going to die in a car wreck today. God forbid. I just mean our time is short, everybody. And, and, and let's be honest with ourselves. It's a silly question if you think about it. When people ask you, are we living in the last days? If I told you yes, how would you live differently? If I, if I, came, to this, if I came to this pulpit and said, this is it. This is the last days and it's Saturday. How would you live differently? Well, you'd buy the bucket of food. And you may, you know, you may do, but generally speaking, you're going to go to work tomorrow and go to school tomorrow. Because the last days are not near as important as your last days. And my last days. So the real question is not, are these the last days? The question is, what am I doing with my last days? I got to be sober. I got to be focused. I got to be on mission. I got to be awake. That's why I don't have time for Listen, and it's not bad. I'm not telling you all that stuff's wrong. I'm just telling you I live on mission. Like I don't have time for frivolous. I don't have time for distraction. Not I'm not telling you I don't have fun. I'm not telling you our family doesn't enjoy. I'm just telling you my life is devoted to the mission that God gave me cuz these are my last days. Cuz I'm living in my last days and I have to be on mission just in case this is the generation, just in case it's my lifetime that Jesus returns. So what should I do? Let me give you three things I think you should do. Henry, come play for them real soft. That way they, they think I'm done. Here's three things. Would you write these down very quickly? The Apostle Peter writes about this in 1 Peter. This is, this is the, the same Peter that, you know, that has an anger problem, a temper problem, would yell at people, would just fly off the handle, cut somebody's ears off. He, he wrote a couple of epistles, actually. He's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, which is... Which is a, it's a mess all in itself, and there are a bunch of Judaizers, and Peter had a really, really tough time with Gentiles coming to God. But he writes about the end times in First in Peter, and he gives us a couple of things that I'm going to leave you with today. Here's the first thing you should do. You say, well, what does this all mean, Pastor? Like, if, if Jesus is coming again, and I believe that, and we could be the generation because of the uniqueness of our generation, if all of that's true, and if I'm living in my last days, what should I do? Here's the first thing. Write this down. I should think clearly. I should think clearly. 1 Peter 4 and 7 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, in light of the end of all things being near, listen close, be clear-minded. Be clear-minded and self-controlled. Now, he gives you a couple of things to do. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that, listen, so that you can pray. The word prayer is the key to clear thinking. I really believe that. There's some of you here who, who think, man, my mind, now listen, don't, don't, don't look at him. I want you to listen to me. There's some of you who, who are, your head is so jumbled up with stuff. Don't raise your hands, but I know, I know there are a lot of people in this room who just feel like, man, I may not be like, there may not be a lot of stuff on my schedule, but in my head, it's chaos. 
Like, I can't seem to get a clear thought. I can't get clear direction. I, 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 I'm scared all the time. I'm worried. I've got fear. I've got, what are we going to do? How are we going to pay the bills? What are we going to do next? Do we have another child? Do we not have another child? Are we going to sell the house? Are we not going to sell the house? Are we going to buy another car? Are we going to move? What are we going to, where are we going to put the kids in school? What, my mind is just so confused right now. Is this the end of the world? What's happening? I turned the news on. I'm scared to death. I don't even want my kids to leave the house. Listen. The key to clear-mindedness is prayer. Clear your mind so you can pray. Prayer should be the moment in your day, listen, when your realities get into realignment with God. Prayer is a realignment time. Here's what I love about our church. Somebody said the other day, man, y'all pray a lot. We do because I have to constantly take us. Listen, because I, I hope there's not a lot of kids in the building because I'm going to be honest and I'm using this word correctly because outside of this walls, it's hell, everybody. And I don't mean that in a, in a like I mean that literally. It's hell. When I get in here, I need to realign my mind. I don't need, listen, when I pray, when I come together, when you get to a place of prayer, you're not, you're not tuning God into what's happening in your world. Your world is tuning into what's happening in heaven. That's why he said, when you pray, pray this way. Pray that your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Like, let me realign my life so that I can be clear-minded. It's why prayer, it's, it's why, listen, it's why we're about to start a weekly prayer meeting here at City Hills Church every week. We're going to pray together in our new ministry center. We're going to turn it into a, 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 a time of prayer every single week. We're going to let you come together. We'll do a little bit of worship, and then you can pray on your own, and then we'll pray together. Why is that? Because I want you to re, I really believe our generation needs a realignment. And prayer is the place where I get my mind clear. Here's the second thing you should do. Listen close. Write this down. I should focus on relationships. I should clear my mind. And I should focus on relationships. Let me ask you something. What, what lasts forever? Does your job? Does your car? Does soccer? No, no, no. People last forever. People live forever somewhere. So, so Peter says it this way he says above all love each other deeply he said this is what you should focus on because love covers a multitude of sin and then just be nice to each other this is the southern way of saying quit being so mean all the time everybody get a smile on your face and quit grumbling about everything going wrong in your life focus on relationship people last forever everything else in this world is going to burn up listen close to me everything else in this world is going to burn up that new house you're building is going to burn up those new cars you have to buy are going to burn up that college you're saving for it will burn up the only thing that will last forever are people so invest in relationships focus on people you weren't intended to live your life alone it's why and I know you think it's a sales pitch every week and I really am I'm pitching you the idea that you need people in a group. It's why I think everybody here should be in a connect group. Everybody needs to be in a group. Because as the coming of the Lord gets closer, I want you to focus on relationships. I want you to focus on people and love each other deeply. I want you to focus on relationships to bring to church, as a matter of fact. I think this ought to be the season you start inviting people like never before. I'm asking you as, as your pastor, listen. Between now and Christmas, I'm asking you to bring more people to church than at any other time this whole year. 
in November. November the 12th, we kick off the biggest series we've ever done as a church. We have invested unbelievable resources in a series called At The Movies. We're going to take blockbuster Hollywood films. And this week, I spent all week in a, in, in a Hollywood television studio with Hollywood sets beside me, literally, camera crews. And I filmed preaching clips. I used the Bible to bring about spiritual truth using a blockbuster film. You say, that sounds crazy. It sounds crazy until your neighbors come to church because they want to go see the movie. And then when they're here, here's the dirty little secret. Let me tell you now before November. Listen to me. Shh, don't tell nobody. I'm going to preach the gospel every week. And people are going to get saved every week. Matter of fact, I think more people are going to get saved in November than any other time in our church. I really believe that. This is the time to focus on relationships. When's the last time you invited your neighbor to church? When's the last time you invited your coworker, your friend, a family member? Like this is the time. Think clearly. Get your mind right. Let's get in prayer. Let's love people. And then here's the last thing and I'm done. I should focus on making a difference. I, I should think clearly if these are the end times. I should focus on people. And I should start living my life to make a difference. 1 Peter 4 and 10 says, Every one of you should use whatever you have received not to build bigger houses, bigger bank accounts, picket fences, bigger retirements. He said, everything that you have, you should serve others with it. Faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. He says, use whatever you have to make a difference. That's why I think growth track is so important because I want you to get on the team. Because the people that were here at 645 this morning, they created the environment, listen, for you to hear me preach the gospel to you right now. You see what they did? They made a difference in your life. They didn't just set up chairs. They, they didn't just set up everything up here. They didn't just come and unload trailers. No, no, no. They made a difference today because somebody today is going to say yes to Jesus. They made an eternal difference. I think if I were you, I would be on mission the rest of my life because I don't know if these are the end times, but these are my end times. I don't know if these are the last days, but these are my last days. i got to make a difference with my life. If you're not on the team, look at me. I'm, I just feel like pastoring it. I don't know what it is. If you're not on the team and you've been in this church for three, four, five, six months, why? Make a difference today. Like, get on the team today. Nobody will look at you strange. Nobody wonders why but me. I'm the only one that wonders why. And I won't look at you strange. I just want you to use what time you have left to make a difference. So I'm going to give you four things and I'll pray for you. Write these four things down. I want you to put these on your mirror. Everybody, don't write it in lipstick if you're a guy. If you're a girl, that's okay. But guys, write it in soap or something on your mirror in your bathroom. If you haven't taken notes and I'm watching you, get your phone out and I want you to write these four things down. My prayer for you over the next four weeks, listen, my prayer for you as your pastor is that you live for heaven that you live for heaven. Listen to me. That you don't live for your next paycheck or the next house or the next job promotion. Let's live for heaven, everybody. This world is not our home. Everything here is going to burn up one day. Let's live like there's another life out here. I want you to stand for truth. I don't want you to be lukewarm 
this is not a, this is not the right time to dabble into into the things of God and then dabble into the world. This is not the time for you to be halfway in, one foot in, one foot out. Listen, I'm sending a clarion call on the first week of this. Tell everybody who comes to this church, this is the time to start standing for truth. Like this is the time to jump in with both feet, everybody. Preach the gospel. You say, well, I'm not a preacher like you are. Yeah, but when you leave today, there's a big sign that says one invitation can change a life. You, I, if I were you, I'd take a whole handful of invites and I'd preach the gospel all week. I'd, I'd preach to as many people as we can. We're going to plan as many churches as we can. We're going to take as many missions trips in 2018 as we can possibly afford to do. We're going to spend as much money. Listen to me. My goal is not to give away 10% of your money. I want to give away. Listen, I honestly told I told God this. I said, God, if you'll bless our church, we'll tithe 90% to world missions. And we'll, we'll run this whole church off 10% of what these people give. You say, that's not possible. I really, I think it's my calling to preach the gospel till Jesus comes back. we got to get on mission, everybody. Get you some handouts. Get, get, get to at the movies. Fill the place up. We'll get another theater. We'll add a third service. We'll buy land. We'll do whatever we have to do. Let's just preach the gospel to as many people as we can. Because Jesus is coming back, everybody. Then let's prepare to meet Jesus. Let's just get ready. Let's get our heart ready. Let's don't play games anymore. Let's prepare our hearts to meet Jesus. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now. Bow your heads and close your eyes.